0: the book of jude we'll get into reading our text in just a bit now last week we read up to verse seven in the book of jude and i told you that we were only going to cover verses six five and six and that uh, we would cover verse seven this week Um, and i shared that with you because As of last week, the Lord had been showing me some things in regards to sexual immorality and going after strange flesh, as the scriptures say, and homosexuality. And the more I thought about it throughout the week, I just kind of decided um, we should just skip verse 7 instead. We should just skip it all together because it's a... It's a hard issue. It's a real difficult issue, controversial even issue. Um, In in, in a day of political correctness, even within the church, someone is going to be offended. And so why even go there, right? Right? Why, why should I put myself in that position of going into that and just because if I if I go too hard on these issues, I and the church will be seen as being too old-fashioned, not being with it, still living in the past, not keeping up with the times that we live in, not understanding our culture, and then if I go too easy or too light on this, these issues, I and the church will be, well, it will seem that we're, I don't know, being too open-minded, too accepting, too tolerant, too compromising, trying to be relevant and maybe even hip by, you know, going to light on the issue. And so instead, I've just kind of marked out and blacked out I would have tore out altogether verse 7 in Jude. But I would have ruined and messed up my the rest of my Bible that I love and respect. And so even though I have marked it out and blacked it out. And I had to do that with other hard issues in the Bible. Um, my Bible is less offensive now. It's still intact. But it is way less offensive. Now I hope that you know that none of that is true. <laughs> I mean, I, I I was looking at Barbara and her mouth is like <laughs> we have got people walking out even. Um, but I must say I must say that as this was going through my mind, because of the issues that we will be covering this morning, as I started playing this out and typing it in, I'm going to fake everybody out. You know what came to mind? I was thinking this, that there would be some people even in this room who would be relieved that we wouldn't, or that we would just kind of skip these kinds of issues. And not deal with them. That they would be relieved, just like, let's just not go there, Zeke. Don't don't even touch on it because I come to this church and if somebody hears what is being preached, they might like, Oh, you're one of them. Either way. Either way, if I would if I go hard or if I go easy, people are going to be offensive, offended. But you know what? The gospel is offensive. It is so stinking offensive that Jesus says, I didn't come to bring unity. I came to divide. And I came to divide family against family even. Because that's where He draws the line. There's a righteousness and there's a wickedness. And He draws the line. And people will be offended. And people will not like righteousness. And so again, we are going to cover verse (laughs) 7. And I have been... (laughs) I, I have been um, in prayer about this whole thing, and I hope you understand where my heart is coming from as we cover. There's going to be a lot that we're going to cover, and I don't even know if we have enough time, but I will do my very best. And so verse 1 of Jude, it says, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and the brother of James, to those who are called sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men... Have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. But I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved, The people out of the land of Egypt afterwards destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Even Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these having given themselves over to sexual immorality, and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Lord, please have your way here, in Jesus' name. Amen. Now the catalysts, that Jude is using, the means that he is using to deal with the issues in verses 5, 6, and 7 is verse 4. You have to keep that in mind, that he is using verse 4 as he shared with us, that there's people that have crept into the church, that they're ungodly men that are inside the church And they have turned the grace of God into lewdness, perverted the grace of God. And they are denying the very power of God. That is the catalyst that he he now moves into these verses 5, 6, and 7. Jude mentioned in verse 4 that these types have already been marked out for condemnation. In other words, he is giving us, in verses 5, 6, and 7, he is giving us examples of others who have been judged for disregarding God's grace and for disregarding God himself. Ultimately, the issues in these verses have to do with disobedience. And he judges disobedience. And it is made up of unbelief, as in verse 5, and the children of Israel, His own people, He judged them. He destroyed them, it says. And then verse 6, dealt with rebellion. These were angels who looked upon His glory... They had been with Him since He had created the angels. They had experienced the glory of God. And can you imagine, they in the very presence of God are still drawn away by a deceiver. Check that out. They are in the very presence of God. And and, and He judges them. And He's put them in chains of darkness for the day of judgment. And then verse 7 Again, talking about disobedience. Here it looks like lust and the lack of self-control here. As in Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities. All of these things have and will bring judgment. Now as I shared with you at the end of last week's service. That in the life of a Christian because he's writing to the church in the life of a christian judgment oftentimes comes in the form of consequences for our disobedience consequences for our disobedience there is judgment that comes upon us oh if you're saved and you 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 go into the unbelief and doubting and and rebellion and even into the sexual immorality that we're talking about and you're saved then those judgments, Jesus took all of that on the cross. All of that. It's been judged. But you will carry the, 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 the scars that come along with being disobedient. Because He's already paid the price for all of that. And as Christians, we have the opportunity to repent from our disobedience. We have that opportunity These examples that He gave us here, He did give them opportunity, but they didn't repent. And He brought judgment upon them. And we as Christians have that opportunity to turn from our disobedience because Jesus has paid the price on the cross for our disobedience. He has taken upon Himself that very judgment that we are reading about. He has taken that upon Himself so that me and you as Christians, as believers, can now live on and move on. But oftentimes, those scars for disobedience, man, they just jack up your life. They jack up your family and they destroy people because of your lack of disobedience. Because you wanted to go there. And God lets you go. Verse 7 is talking as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner as these they have given themselves over to all this debauchery now i want to take you back to genesis to the first chapter or the first book of the bible now i don't know if i'm going to read everything but we're going to be looking from like verse and this is why i'm saying i don't know if we have time From from chapters 13 to about chapters 19. Because in those chapters we see the stories that revolve around Sodom and Gomorrah. And again, depending on the time, I might just skip over them or skim over them. If you look for the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah in your Bible maps, in the back of your Bible, you will not find them. Because they have been wiped off the face of the map. Literally, they were wiped off. But we know that they did exist. Oh, we know. We have the stories. You know, we we, we have in the Old Testament, we have in the New Testament that they're referred to. But we know from the Old Testament that they were a desirable place to live. A pleasant place in that sense to live because it was gorgeous. Because in Genesis 13.10, and I'm going to give you guys a lot of scripture. I hope you guys have a pen, borrow a pen from your neighbor, whoever. Start writing all these things down because I want you to look at all these things. But Genesis 13.10, it says, And Lot, Abram's nephew, lifted his eyes and saw the plains of Jordan, that that it was well watered everywhere. Before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Like the garden of the Lord. Like the land of Egypt. As it goes towards Zor. It was a desirable place. Man, it even says it looked like the garden of Eden basically. It was such a lush and wonderful looking place. But... You see, when there was a split between Abram and his nephew Lot, he says, hey, 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 Lot, you choose wherever you want to go. God had already promised them everything. But he says, Lot, you choose wherever you want to go. And it says that he looked at this pleasant place, and he says, that's where I want to go. Man, it is so amazing. That's where I'm going. And so he chose a lot of land, and he went towards it. That looked good. That looked pleasant. And it says that he pitched his tent. Towards Sodom. And eventually we know that he. Moved into Sodom. Now. We know. Excuse me. We know from Genesis 14. That there was. Three other cities. Associated with. Sodom and Gomorrah. in that region and according to Jude 7 it says that these cities sinned in similar manner as Sodom and Gomorrah they were just as perverted as Sodom and Gomorrah and, and in chapter 14 it, it gives us an interesting little story and i find it interesting myself as i'm looking at this because in that same chapter <clears throat> it says that these five cities these five kings and their people were attacked by four other cities and their kings. And they came and they, they 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 took them all captive. Now when word got to Abram that this had happened, because Lot, his family member, was involved in Sodom, he and his family were also taken. Abram went, gathered others that were around him, other cities and other people, and went to go help. He went to go help these five cities that Sodom and Gomorrah were a part of. And he fought for them. He rescued them. He delivered them. And you know what they did afterwards? They went back to their perverted lifestyle. Right back. They all went back to their perversion, the way they used to live. Even Lot and his family went to live in and among them like they used to. Now, as a righteous man, like Abram was, as one who believed and one who trusted God, you would think that Abram would have just said, it serves them all right to go get captured, torture those guys because of the way they live. They all deserve to get what they deserve. Matter of fact, they just deserve to be put in hell for the rest of their lives because they're perverted and they're wicked. That's what this righteous man should have said, right? After all, <laughs> that's what God-fearing people, Christians, are supposed to talk like, right? We're, we're supposed to have that attitude of, of, about homosexuals. That, you know what? Whatever comes upon them, let them burn in hell. Right? That's, that's what we're supposed to have, right? Because I hear it. I hear it from, from, from God-fearing people all those people should go to hell. None of them will ever be in heaven. No, Abraham didn't do that. He he goes and he rescues them. He stands up for them. And after he does all that, he goes and he worships in chapter 14. In verse 17, In verse 18, it says that he came and and went. he he went and he met up with Melchizedek, the king of Salem, peace. And this king of Salem brought out uh, bread and wine. He was the priest of God Most High. So after he goes and stands up for these homosexuals, and he knew about them, his nephew, he lived in and among them. And he goes and he fights for them. He rescues them and he delivers them. And afterwards he goes right back to standing before the Lord. He goes and he meets up with Melchizedek and has communion with him. And he even pays him his tithes. Gives him his tithes. He does what a Christian should be doing. All the while the king of Sodom is telling Abram to keep everything, all everything that they got from those kings. He says, hey, keep it all. Just give me back the people. Give me back my people. <laughs> we have this thing going on, you know. Just give me back my people, and you can have everything. And he's basically telling them, because, or what, what he does, what Abram does, he says, no, I don't need anything from you. And what he's basically telling them is that I will not be indebted to you, that I got rich off of you. All I have or all I need is God. That's all I need. See, he went and stood up for the people like that and then he came back and just continued to worship. And, and in chapter 18 of Genesis, we have the story of of these two angels, well, three, basically, that come to, to Abraham now. His name is Abraham now. And he is told that he and Sarah would have a son. And he is also told that they have come to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, you would think, That as the Lord himself is telling him about the judgment that is going to come upon these perverted cities. You would think that Abraham would have just told the Lord. Lord you just go on with your bad self and destroy all of those people. I saved them and I took care of them. And they went right back to their perversion. And I hate them. And if I hate them I know you hate them even more Lord. As a matter of fact why don't you give me the privilege of calling down fire from heaven destroying all that lot for all those people those kinds of people (laughs) you would think after saving these kinds of people that they would have been grateful and would have changed their ways somehow but no they go right back into their perversion and the Lord didn't have to tell Abram or Abraham, about what he was going to do. As a matter of fact, it says in, in chapter 18, verse 17, the Lord says to the other angels that were there with him, to the angels, shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? I shouldn't, have to, I shouldn't tell him that I'm going to go destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. He doesn't have to tell him that. And when Abraham is told about the judgment, he begins to intercede for them instead. He begins to intercede for the cities of that region. Knowing that judgment is coming, his heart somehow decides, Lord, I got to talk to you about this. Because this is what he says in verse 23 of chapter 18. He says, And Abraham came near." and said, would you destroy the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Would you also destroy the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous that are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you. Should not or shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And the Lord answered, If I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, I I will spare all the place for their sake. And he continues to debate with the Lord. He's like, okay, Lord, how about if there's 45? If there were 45, he said, I wouldn't do it for 45. Okay, Lord, 40. No, if there's 40 righteous, I will not destroy this place. He says, okay, Lord, don't get mad at me right now, but um, how about if there's 30? How about 20? He says, I won't destroy. And Lot gets down to 10. And the Lord says, if I could find 10 righteous in that city, maybe even the surrounding city, I will not destroy them. And this is what I find fascinating is that Abraham is standing in the gap for this type of people. They are an abomination to the Lord. (laughs) And Abraham is standing up for these people. I just don't get it. Because we're not supposed to, are we? We're not supposed to stand up for people like that. They're wicked. They're perverted. Why should we care? If people are living in and among them, let them burn too, right? In in, in chapter 19, he begins to tell us this story about these two angels that go into Sodom and Gomorrah area where Lot lives. And they're looking for Lot because there was... Lot, his wife, his four daughters. How many do I got there? His four daughters and their son-in-law. There was eight of them. They are associated with Abraham. He has family members that are in and among these homosexuals. And he is interceding for them. Because he, ha- he knows somebody there <laughs> who lives in and among that lifestyle. And, and as they go to, to him in verse 4 of chapter 19, it says, Now behold, they, they, uh, they laid down, and the men of the city, the, the men of Sodom, both young, old and young, all the people from every quarter surrounded the house. And they called to Lot and said to him, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them carnally. So Lot went out to them through the doorway, shut the door behind him, and said, Please, my brethren, do not so do so wickedly. See, now I have two daughters who have not known a man. Please, let me bring them out to you, and you may do to them as you wish. Only do nothing to these men since this is the reason they have come under the shadow of my roof. And they said, stand back. Then they said, this one came in to stay here and he keeps acting as a judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. So they pressed hard against the man Lot and came near to break down the door. And the men, but the men reached out their hand and pulled Lot into the house with them and they shut the door. And they struck the men, with, uh, they struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they um, became weary trying to find the door. And then it tells us that he, these angels are saying, who else do we have here? He says, I have two daughters and their husbands. Well, go get them and tell them to come because we're going to destroy this place. And it says that Lot went to his two daughters and they thought he was joking. They laughed at him. They laughed at the warning that God was going to bring judgment upon them, and so He left them. And He goes and He gets his his wife and his two kids, and he's and now he's starting to bargain with with these guys because it says that in the morning, um, in verse fifteen, when the morning dawned and the angels urged Lot to hurry, saying, "Arise, take your wife and your two daughters here, uh, who are here, lest they be consumed in the punishment of the city." And while he lingered. Well, lot said, let's talk about this. I don't know if I really want to leave these kind of people. They've become really, I mean, I call him my brethren. He's very tolerant of them. I, I, I wonder if Lot, maybe when he moved into that place, I wonder if he thought, I could change them. But Lot was the one that was affected a lot by them and maybe it was in the name of tolerance Lot was delivered though Peter calls him a a righteous Lot that righteous man he also says that he had a righteous soul which is hard to understand given the fact that he tells the angels or or when the angels come he tells the men hey I have two daughters who've never known anybody you could do whatever you want with them any perversion you want, man, take care of it. It's hard to imagine, but there's people even within the church that are okay with perversion like that. Oh, homosexuality, never. A oh, man are perverted. Even within the church. They're okay with other things. <laughs> I mean we, we, we saw that, that he had four daughters and they, they he lost them. So Lot, his wife, his two daughters escaped the judgment that was about to fall on that city and the angels basically had to drag them out of there. And they would not destroy it until they got to safety. And he even bargained with that. And even as they got to safety, it says that that his wife turned back and she became a pillar of salt. Poof basically. It's interesting because that whole area that we're talking about here is where the Dead Sea is. And it has so many salt deposits. It is amazing. The water there contains 33% salt. And the ocean only has 3% salt. That's how salty it is. Maybe she's the one that started it. I don't know. Sodom and Gomorrah, their devastation was so bad. This fire and brimstone that fell from heaven, that it reduced them to ashes, not leaving a trace of them. This landscape that was so lush once is now barren. If you see pictures of the Dead Sea, it is just barren. That area where, where the land of Sodom and Gomorrah and these cities were, were at is where the Dead Sea sits now. It is the lowest dry land, piece of land in all the world. It's about 1,200 feet below sea level. It used to be lush. It used to be probably a nice little plain. Now it is, it's, it, it, it's deep. It is the lowest point. And see, this is what judgment does. It brings people to their lowest point. And it reduces them to nothing. In in getting all this information about Sodom and Gomorrah, let's, let's go back to now Jude. And there's still other places that I think I might go to, but we'll see. In Jude 7 where it says these cities in like manner have given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh are set forth as an example. They are set forth as an example. And that phrase connotes, it implies, it it signifies... To expose openly in public view as a body or a corp- corpse would be in, in uh, laying in, in state, or lying in state there, where you can come and view this body. That's what it means to be set forth as an example and somewhat say well that's kind of weird because these cities are not even are not exposed to public view and that's exactly the point their absence the dead sea even testifies of the judgment that they have suffered it's all dead it's all been judged because their disobedience In which they had given themselves over. They had gone after. Demonstrates itself in lust. And the lack of self-control. And it brought about judgment and destruction. Lust and the lack of self-control will bring about judgment. And destruction. Not only in your life, but in other people's lives, your family's lives. It destroys. You see, because God doesn't take any of this lightly. It is all disobedience to Him. Now, the world will do what the world will do. (laughs) And when it comes to His people, believers, Christians it is the will of God to abstain from sexual immorality. If people ever want to say, I want to know the will of God. And people do. You know, people, what's the will of God? I could tell you what the will of God is in regards to sexual immorality because it's plain and simple. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning in verse 3, it says plainly, and you can underline it, this is the will of God. This is the will of God, your sanctification, your setting apart that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter because the Lord is the avenger of all such. As we also forewarned you and testify, for God did not call us to uncleanness, but to holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God who has given us his Holy Spirit. Plain and simple, isn't it? Both homosexual immorality and heterosexual immorality is disobedience. Now, it all comes back to lust and the lack of self-control. Jude here is speaking to those within the church. And quite frankly, there isn't much that we could do with those outside the church. The world will do what the world does, guys. We get shocked at, at, at what the world does. But it's like, that's what the world is all about, peeps. That's what the world does. It's perverted. It tells us plainly. And so he is speaking to those inside the church the world will push their agenda and they will push their laws and cram them down our throats because that's what the world does. Now it doesn't mean that we can't stand up, contend for the faith, even with those outside the church. It doesn't mean that we can't continue to be an influence to those around us and to those out in the world. We should be. We should be that light in the world. But don't be surprised. What they're cramming down our stinking throats? Don't be surprised about it. Jude is talking to those who have come into the church. Those who have come into the church that are turning the, the grace of God into lewdness. They're turning the grace of God into perversion. Because even within the church, we're allowing sexual immorality. Of any kind. And some people are okay with it. Because other people have crept in. And they might not be apostates per se. With that title of apostates. But they're people that are lingering. And they're coming around you. And they're drawing you in. And all of a sudden you're having sex with one another. And it's like whoa, 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 whoa. whoa, Time out. (laughs) We'll give you the right. Inside the church. When was it Okay to start committing sexual immorality as a Christian. You see, we can't do anything about those peeps out there. But he's talking to the church. And within the church, people have crept in and they're luring men and women to commit sexual immorality. (laughs) So he's talking to those who are within the church And in that, we as believers need to continue to contend for the faith, even within the church. And I know what some people, well, it's none of my business, what other people are doing. And in one sense, it's not until they come after you or your daughter or your son. And then it's like, hey, Pastor Zeke, man, hey, you know what's going on in your church? Oh, it's not your church either? (laughs) No, it's your church. You go deal with it. How come you didn't deal with it when you knew about it? And oftentimes, I'll tell people, hey, this is secondhand information. You go tell those people. Oh, you're the pastor. Go. Whatever. We'll deal with it. (laughs) I'm not afraid of dealing with these kinds of issues. But it is our responsibility as a church because they creep in. You know what? Those guys that creep in, they're not going to come after me. They're going to come after you. Especially if you're weak. Especially if you don't know the word. They're going to come after you. And they're going to draw you in and say, no, it's okay. man. Come on, baby. <laughs> that sounded creepy, On huh? <laughs> yeah, A little bit and a lot of it. I got creeped out. We're to come against those who are in the church who would say that sexual immorality is okay of any kind. But it's not. Because God has given us the spirit of self-control. That's what Galatians 5 tells us. He has given us the spirit of self-control so that we don't have to give ourselves over. So that we don't have to go after our lusts. Sexual immorality of any kind comes from the word fornication. And I know it's not a word that we use very much, but maybe we should calling sexual immorality what it is fornication you see fornication comes from the root word in the in the Greek that's pornaea where we get our word pornography from that's where the word sexual immorality <clears throat> fornication comes from it is pornography and it is defined of of a harlotry including adultery and incest and figuratively it's idolatry now we may think that it is worse today than ever before and that is not the case Well, in one sense, uh, uh, you can click on anything. I mean, with all the devices that we have, you you could see it anywhere. But guys, we just read about Sodom and Gomorrah. It's been happening for thousands of years. Since the fall of man, man became perverts. And women. Why not? Let's just throw it out there. Most of the people that Jude was writing to had come out, out of idolatry idolatry was a way of life and they it was still surrounding them just like it does with us guys we've come out of a lot of the perversion perversion of the world as as, as ephesians says and so were some of you we've all been there man in one way or another if you I mean, even if you're a christian you were, you came out of and there was perversion surrounding you in this world but it's been around forever Porneia in the Latin, Latin Vulgate is fornicatio, fornicatio, and also prostitutio, prostitutio, which speaks of prostitution, which is or has the stigma of illicit sex, something that's unlawful, shouldn't be mentioned. <laughs> Although prostitution was and is a part of many temples and rituals and ceremonies that have to do with idols, it is a form of spiritual fornication. And every time the nation of Israel turned its back on God to serve other gods, they were committing sexual or, or spiritual fornication. And any time we as believers turn to any form of sexual immorality, we are committing spiritual fornication against God. It's not just you. You're not just sinning against yourself. You're not just sinning against your spouse or your kids or, or, or whoever or the other person and their family. You're sinning against God. You're committing spiritual fornication against God. And so in a nutshell spiritual immorality is anything outside of marriage anything and with anyone that is not your spouse hebrews 4 or 13:4 says that marriage is honorable among all and the bed is undefiled but adulterers and fornicators god will judge Spiritual immorality is anything outside of marriage and with anybody. And I know some would say, anything? Anything. Let me read to you really quick from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse 13, where it says, food for the stomach and stomach for the food, but God will destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for sexual immorality but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Speaking to Christians here. And God both raised up the Lord and will also raise raise us up by His power. Do you not know that your your bodies are members of Christ? Should I then take the member of Christ and make them one with the harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body. But he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own. For we were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. <laughs> he is talking about sexual intercourse. And now we'll throw this out there too. He is talking about sexual intercourse. Huh? Maybe I made it up. I don't know. But see, people are saying, well, we really didn't like really good into the act. But you did every stinking out el- everything else except that. And you think you're okay with it. And it's like, no, it's not. It's still not. <laughs> you're not married to them. And so anything intercourse or outer course is covered in all of that the very act of intercourse and we can take it all the way to the very act and we can all even go back all the way to just holding hands with somebody you're going no say no holding hands with somebody guys you know that's where it usually starts but you know what jesus did he took it even further than that he said, it starts in your heart and in your mind. Huh. It starts in your heart and in your mind. See, we can't get away from it, guys. We're so desperate for him. We are living in a time where anything goes. But we just kind of read about that in Sodom and Gomorrah, Right? From giving yourself over to sexual immorality to going after strange flesh, homosexuality. We're living in a time where no one is supposed to say anything to the contrary at the risk of being labeled a bigot, old-fashioned, a homophobe. Right? Right? At the risk, because people are like, I don't want to say anything, jeez. And the world will do what the world will do. And the world will come against the church because that's what the world does. And the world calls evil good and good evil. We are to contend for the faith at the risk of being labeled, guys. But I'll give you a newsflash already. You've already been labeled in this society. You are now evil. You are now the biggest bigot there is because you stand up for traditional marriage. Christianity has always been labeled though. Right from the get-go. So get used to it. The world cannot destroy the church of jesus christ it cannot destroy the church but it will destroy families it will even destroy local churches like this and it will destroy christian businesses because they will come against you and put you out of business. Read the papers, man. What's happening to bakeries and and, and photographers and and stuff like that because they don't want to comply and they're losing their businesses over it. And people will come here eventually as they have to other churches to sue them because they won't marry them. You see, the world will redefine marriage even though it's not theirs to, to, to redefine because they were not the creators of it. And they're only doing it just to destroy traditional marriage. You see, God hasn't changed his mind. He hasn't changed the definition of marriage to him. It is still one man and one woman because it won't work any other way. In an article in the Washington Post dated July 15, 2014, it says that the Centers for Disease and Disease and prevention did a survey in 2013 and it came up with less than three percent of the adult population identify themselves as gay lesbian or bisexual three less than three percent one point six percent for gay and lesbian and 07 percent for being bisexual now even if some people didn't want to come out let's just give it another percentage four or five percent it's a small percentage but they have a huge platform You see, because people, even if they're straight, don't want to come against that. And so they are lobbying with them to destroy our society. And as a church, (laughs) we have to deal with these kinds of issues because the Bible deals with these kinds of issues. And what we saw, even in... This morning, as we went back to Galatia, or to Genesis, we saw a godly man like Abraham reach out to the people that were living and approving of homosexual lifestyles. Because one of his family members was involved in that. He was in the middle of it. And when he knew the judgment was coming upon them, he interceded for them. But he let God judge. He didn't judge them in that sense. They were of the world. They do what the world does, guys. He let God bring down the judgment. And we are living in an age where our young kids will not remember a time when same-sex marriage wasn't allowed or accepted. But the church will still have to contend for the faith. Even if they pass the law everywhere. We still have to contend for the faith. We still have to stand up for righteousness. We still have to stand up for what the Word of God says. And we're in the battle. See, and if you thought you'd just be a spectator in this... (laughs) I got news for you. You're not. You can't be. Because it's going to hit your family in an effort to contend for the faith and to understand what we are up, up against with. In the last part of, of April, we we're scheduling a conference to hold here on how to deal with homosexuality. Because guys, we're we've as a church, we've dealt with it. And we're dealing with it. And some of you are dealing with it in your own lives. And we want to be able to come and speak to the adults and say, here's what's happening. This is what's going on from people who have lived that lifestyle that God has brought out. And I can imagine that they're still struggling and people are coming against them. But we want to be able to speak to adults and in the afternoon invite the kids, the teenagers to come and hear about it. And I know what some people are going, don't even open up that can of worms, Zeke. Why are you guys even going there? Because we have to, guys. You could stick your head in the sand and decide, I I, I hate those people. And, and and still continue to have that kind of attitude. But I could guarantee you that most of you, if not all of you, know of somebody, work with somebody, is the family member of or you yourself have been battling this issue as a christian whether it's pornography whether it's it's heterosexual immorality or homosexual immorality you're dealing with it guys and we want to be able to put it out there and say guys we're we're here for you we're not exempt if you need counseling, man, Pastor Gary, myself, we have women counselors. We have other cou- that will sit with you and talk to you about these issues. We're gonna we're we're gonna have two songs at the end. We're gonna have people out here. If you want to come and pray, and I know what people are going. Ain't, I I'm not walking up there because people might think I am. Guys, this is a safe place, man. And 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 it might not just be homosexuality. It could be pornography. It could be anything that's going on, but we have people that want to pray for you. I don't want to skirt this issue, guys. We are living in a time where everything is coming against God and coming against His church, and they are pushing their agendas left and right. And we have to be prepared. You need to be prepared. If your kid, I don't care if he's homeschooled or he's going to public school, he's already being exposed to all of that. He really is. And he's having to deal with it. He's having to battle, going like, "Ah, I can't go talk to my mom and dad because I've heard them talk about these kinds of people, and they don't say anything nice about them." And I have a friend, or I have whatever. Guys, it is it, you're being challenged. Our kids are being challenged. It's everywhere. And if we don't challenge it as a church, and 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 again, man, we're going to invite the other churches. If they want to be a part of it, and I've talked to one church already, They're like, oh, Zeke, I don't know if we want to. It's like, okay, bro, keep your head in the sand, bro. But we're going we're to open it up. And I would invite you, all of you, to be here. Because you have to deal with this. Let your kids, they're not going to get graphic and they're not going to get perverted, but they're going to share with you people who have come out of that lifestyle saying, this is what's happening. And again, there could be churches that, man, they just embrace it all. And then there's churches that are so homophobic and so all whatever and bigoted. And and guys, I don't know where we're going to be, but we're going to deal with this issue. We're not going to run from it because I know you as our people, battling issues like this in your jobs, in our community, in your home. And so, let's pray. And there will be people up here that are willing to pray with you. And if you need to take one of the people, and again, we, we're we not here for counseling, we're just here for prayer. If you need to talk to somebody afterwards, walk up to them, talk to them. Okay? let's Let's... Let's just sit, because there's going to be two songs, but let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord. Father, as we look at this right now, Lord God, and deal with this, I pray for our people right now, Lord, who are struggling in so many different areas, Lord God. Anything that has to do with sexual immorality, Lord. Many are dealing with these issues, Lord. And I pray for all of us here, Lord God, my leaders included, (laughs) that you would just help us, Lord, even as we pray for people. I pray that, Lord, as the enemy is trying to bring condemnation and trying to hold people back from being prayed for to be freed or to pray for family members or co-workers or whoever, the people in our community, Lord. They want to stand in the gap. I pray that, Lord, Satan would not deceive them here. I pray, God, that they would be able and willing to pray for others, Lord. Pray for themselves, even. And so, Father, please, Lord. Do that work in touching the lives of our people right now. Be with our be with my leaders up here who are going to be praying. Give them sensitivity even as they pray, Lord. We bless you and we thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen.